Um, just before we come to the word tonight, let's uh, bow our heads and uh, pray and ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord, your word tells us you will never leave us or forsake us. So we know that in troublesome times or trials, as they called in the Bible, you are there with us. Help us today to better understand these difficult and challenging times. Open our eyes to see your care and love when our faith is put to the test. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some time ago, uh, I was pastoring a church at that time and uh, it had been a really difficult year. It just seemed like all kinds of things had gone wrong. Uh, it had been very challenging. And uh, right at the end of the year, we were heading off on holidays, going interstate. And uh, I sat on the plane with the family. And uh, it was just this uh, great feeling that I had. I had to turn off the mobile phone, which is fantastic. You're not allowed to have them on. Uh, in, the, in a plane and I thought, great, no one can phone me and tell me about a problem. And also I thought, no one can actually come and talk to me unless somehow they can get into the plane as we're sitting out on the tarmac. So I thought, that's fantastic. And it's almost like the pressure and all the cares and, and, and the worries of that year sort of seemed to just fall off me. And as we uh, went down the runway and we took off into the sky. It felt to me like pure joy. I thought, oh, this is just fantastic, leaving everything behind and this is just pure joy. But in the text that we had today, we read something quite different because James says this, and we read it in verse 2. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, surely that can't be right because going on a holiday you know, and leaving work behind, surely that's pure joy. But um, when, when James says facing trials, consider that a pure joy, how can that be? We generally... Uh, don't welcome trials in our life. We don't want them at all. And if we have trials, we want them over as soon as possible. In fact, often when trials come our way, we think uh, often that our life has gone wrong. We think maybe I've gone off track. Um, sometimes we even think I must be sinning and God's punishing me. Um, or sometimes we might just simply think, well, maybe I've missed the direction of God in my life. And again, that's why trials are coming my way. But James shows us that that is not the case. Because he says this, he says, whenever you face trials, you see, whenever you face trials, he doesn't say to us, oh, the one time you face a trial. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
And so James is suggesting to us that trials are a normal part of our life. And we have been going through a huge trial with uh, the coronavirus. Uh, we have here, uh, all of Australia, in fact the whole world, uh, it's been going on now for quite a long time. And as we keep hearing on the news, it's still uh, a huge trial and in some parts of the world uh, is absolutely overwhelming. And it's brought with it uh, health trials, economic challenge, uh, the whole thing of uh, how we operate and uh, relate with each other socially and uh, so on. But even just put um, you know, COVID aside for a moment, during the whole time of COVID and, and the time before and time that's going to come, uh, there are going to be many other trials that we might face. And I'm not suggesting that we face trials all of the time of every kind, but nonetheless, trials of many kinds, as James says, they will find us. And in the past few years, as you're sitting here, you might be thinking, oh yeah, that's right, you know, there's been this and there's been that, there's been that. We seem to face grief and it can come in many different ways. It could be job loss, it might be financial problems, uh, it could be relationship breakdown, it might be illness, uh, it might be an accident, uh, it might be bereavement if we lose someone dear to us, we might be struggling with our studies, uh, it might be health, uh, mental health issues, and we can go on and on. There's just so many different kinds of trials uh, that we might be able to uh, face in our life. But trials are a part of our life. The Bible makes that very clear. But the question is, why does James say that we should consider it pure joy when those trials come upon us, the type of trials that we don't really want to have and that we don't enjoy having in our life. Well, can I just firstly share a little bit about what James isn't saying? James is not saying to actually enjoy the trial. He's not saying we should pretend. He's not telling us to put on a happy face and to go into denial. So what I mean is, you know, we fall off a ladder, we break our leg and we're writhing around on the floor in agony. James isn't suggesting for one minute that we should put on a happy face and say, oh, this is fun. You know, this is so joyful. I think I'm going to fall off a ladder every day. You know, he's not, he's not suggesting that we actually embrace the trial in that kind of a ridiculous uh, manner. Because suffering in itself is not good. Uh, it's only what God can do in the midst of suffering or in the trial that is good. James readers that he's writing this to, many of them would have been experiencing trials like poverty, injustice, conflict, sickness, bereavement, and, and we could probably go on with a whole, a whole list of things that they would have been experiencing. And James is not suggesting to them 
that they should go looking for trouble. He's not saying go looking for trials. We aren't deliberately to seek to make our life hard. But when life is hard, then God works for our good. And that's what James is trying to get us to see here. So why consider it pure joy when we have trials? Well, the answer comes in verse 3 and 4. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here we see that there's a progression that takes place. Trials test our faith. And the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And the finished work of perseverance is maturity and completeness. Or we might say not lacking anything in our character. To be in our character mature and complete, or may we say having it all together, is a very desirable outcome. So anything that contributes to that outcome, we can consider pure joy. And maturity is a desirable thing in many ways. And I'll just explain a few. And then we'll have a look at how it's desirable for us as Christians. Who likes little puppy dogs? Yeah, I'm getting a few nods. Okay. Yes, I do. When, when you get, first get a little puppy dog, you know, six weeks old, they're so cute, little bundle of joy and furriness and so on. Uh, well, for me, I do like little puppy dogs, but I actually like dogs when they turn two years old because at that age, they actually come into full maturity. Because little puppy dogs, as cute as they are, they are a nuisance and a pest. They chew up your shoes at the back uh, door. They, when you let them in, they love to chew the chair legs and the table legs and the carpets and anything that they can get hold of. They make messes all around the household and they won't just lie down and be still. I love it when dogs come into maturity and you can let them in and they don't make a mess anymore. They just settle down and go to sleep. They don't chew everything in sight. Maturity is a very, very good thing. In nature, it's the same. Uh, we planted four years ago when we moved into our house. Uh, we planted some fruit trees and they're about this big. Four years later, they're about this big. And it's a very sad story because every year they have about four or five bits of fruit on them that you never get to eat because the birds get there first. I can't wait for those trees to come into maturity. And it's the same for the farmer where they sow, you know, those new cherry orchards that seem to be going in everywhere. And there are vineyards going in everywhere. The, the, those, those new vines and those new trees, they're no good when they're like this. The farmer needs them to become mature and to be full of fruit. Maturity in nature and in life is a very desirable outcome, as cute as little things are. But, but maturity is ultimately a good thing. Take a police officer. 
if you uh, commission a police officer and you put a uniform on him or her and you say, now go out and do your policing, they wouldn't have a clue what to do. They wouldn't know what's legal or illegal. What happens if you arrest a person? What do you do? What are the protocols? You have to put them into the police academy. And after some training, after a few months, they can come out with a certain amount of maturity and they at least know how to do the job. And as they get experience, they can get uh, promoted and have more responsibility and take charge over a team and so on. It doesn't matter what area of life or nature you look at, maturity is actually something that is desirable and brings about very good results. But what about for us as Christians? Well, maturity, again, is a very good thing because when we become mature as a Christian, we stop being concerned solely with our own needs and we become more concerned for God's will and his mission and we become concerned for other people. We also tend to level out. So we're not, can, can I call it, um, you know, we're not like yo-yo Christians. Uh, you know, we're, we're going along and depending on how the day's going or the week, you know, we might be up there feeling on top of it and praising God or things might, you know, become hard and we're way down there and we're sort of flattened and wondering how we're going to survive. That's not a good way for us to live out our Christianity, you know, up, down, up, down, depending on the circumstances that are uh, coming into our life. Uh, what God wants is that we actually start to level out and we can go along like this and we might have little you know, ups and downs depending on circumstance, but by and large, we become mature and, and, and we're not sort of like knocked out one day and then elated the next. We, we just get this balance in our life. And, and if you've been battling with ups and downs, you, you know that, yeah, just being able to go along like that, that is a very desirable outcome for our life. The other thing is we become mature as Christians. We grow in what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. They are very good outcomes. To desire that for your life, it's really good. That, that fruit, as it grows, as we grow in character, it's the Holy Spirit making us more and more to be like Jesus. And that's a really good outcome for us in our Christian life. But let's have a look, because what we read here in the text is that trials produce perseverance, and then perseverance helps to mature us. So how does perseverance actually? We learn to cope. So we learn to pray in trials. We learn to seek God. We learn to cry out to him and we learn to trust God. And so we find as we are able to trust God in the time of trial that it, you know, the things just don't sideline us anymore like they used to. I can go through some things now in my life that I hardly even notice. It's like it's just a, a little blip, 
But I know that 20 years ago, it would have just flattened me and I, and I would have been thinking, oh, this is terrible. But, but now I can go through those things. And uh, that's what perseverance does, is we learn to look to God and reach out to him and seek him and, and look to the word and see what God's doing. Uh, we, we grow in maturity. And God matures us through trials, even though they may be painful or uncomfortable. In the same way, like a parent matures a child. You know, um, children don't always want to go to school. Or maybe you've got all angels, I'm not sure. But sometimes, you know, children say, oh, I don't want to go to school today. Or, or, you know, maybe they're being bullied or something. They just don't want to go to school. But we send them anyway. Even if you're homeschooling, you know, and, and, and maybe children say, oh, I don't want to study today. But we make them, don't we? Even if for them it's uncomfortable. Even if for them it's painful. But we know that they have to go through that or they're not going to learn. They're not going to mature and it's going to hinder their life later on. What about homework? Um, we, we had uh, three children, two really great with homework. One didn't like to do it so much. And uh, when we were trying to get uh, the, the third one to do homework, we had to persevere because you have to get your homework done, don't you? If you don't do your homework, again, you suffer for it later on. Same with music lessons. You know, children who are doing music lessons, sometimes say, oh, I just don't want to do another lesson today. I don't want to practice the scales. I've had enough. But parents who know better say, no, you've got to you know, keep practising because we know that ultimately uh, you're not going to become a concert pianist if you don't put in the hard yards. So as parents, we expect our children to go through trials and testing uh, to mature and God does the same with us. He knows that to be a good parent, that we too have to go through trials and testings and, and sufferings in our life in order to bring us to maturity. And what's the ultimate goal? We read it here in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's the ultimate goal, that we spend all of eternity with the Lord. And we are to finish well. We are not to go down under the pressure of life. We should never walk away from the Lord. We should never ditch our faith so that we can say along with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So there's a, a, a succession for us to go through in our life as believers. We need to embrace the trials. We need to persevere. We need to grow into maturity. 
and then stand firm in Christ and ultimately we will come into an eternity with him. And we need to pray for our churches in that because we hear too often of people that don't make it all the way through. The trials and testings come and and they fall away. We don't want for that to happen. We need to pray that that people will grow and, and be strong in the trials and keep going on with the Lord. Because what a tragedy it is that Jesus died for us. And what, what, what a sadness it is if we just don't go through and receive what Paul calls is a prize. He says, keep your eyes fixed on the prize. What a tragedy it is if we don't make it all the way through. Can I just share with you a story? It's an amazing story of maturity and at keeping eyes fixed on that eternal prize of being with the Lord forever. And it's a story behind the hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, it's an incredible story of faith, and it belongs to Horatio Spafford. And he lived yet yeah, a long time ago, 1828 to 1888. And much like Job in the Bible, he placed his trust in God during his life's prosperity, but also during life's calamities. He was a devout Christian who immersed himself in Scripture and for many years of his life, it was extremely uh, joyful. He was a prominent Chicago lawyer whose business was thriving. He owned several properties throughout the city. And he and his beloved wife had four beautiful daughters and one son. And life was good. In fact, it seemed more than good. It seemed blessed. But faith, no matter how great, does not always spare us from adversity. And just as Horatio hit the pinnacle of his profession and financial success, things began to change. And it began with the tragic loss of their son. And not long thereafter, the great Chicago fire destroyed nearly every real estate investment Horatio owned. Just a few years later, in 1873, Horatio decided to treat his wife and daughters to a much-needed escape from the turmoil. He sent them on a ship to Europe with plans to join them shortly after wrapping up some business uh, there in Chicago. Sometime later, he received a telegram, a dreadful telegram from his wife. And in it, she had put saved alone because it bore the excruciating news that the family ship had been wrecked and all four of his daughters had perished. Again, just a little while later, Horatio was on his way, travelling from the US over to England to meet his heartbroken wife. And he was on a ship passing over the same sea that had recently claimed the lives of his four daughters. And it was while that was happening that he put his pen to paper 
and the timeless hymn was born. And it begins with these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The famous hymn composer Philip Bliss was so moved by what Horatio had written and the, the whole story that he composed a tune to go with the words and uh, the song was published a few years later. And it's incredible to think that such encouraging and uplifting words were born from the depths of such unimaginable sorrow. And it's an example of truly inspiring faith and trust in the Lord. For him to be able to write that in the middle of such tragedy. And it goes to show too the power that God has in our life to overcome even the darkest of times, the darkest of trials, the darkest of trouble. Now, did Horatio go through grief? Oh, yes, absolutely. Just like any of us would. Terrible grief. He along with his dear wife. But even in the midst of that grief, there was faith and hope and strength. And to me, there's a, I don't know whether this is quite the right word, but there's a beauty in that. It's a, it's a beauty of what God can do in our life in the face of just such incredible sorrow. And, you know, we might sit here thinking, I wonder how we would go in such great calamity and praise God that even though we go through many trials, that usually it's probably not quite of that severe nature. But, you know, one thing is if trials and trouble and calamity come, I would rather go through it with God than without God. I would rather face the trials and calamities of life having been strengthened by the Lord than just having to face it completely on my own. Let's go on. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know, to consider um, the trials of life joy, we need wisdom. We need godly wisdom because wisdom gives us the capacity to understand the world in light of God's word and in the light of his purposes and his promises. Wisdom enables us to see God's perspective. But, you know, if we don't have that wisdom to see God in the trial, then we need to ask for it. And James says God gives 
that wisdom generously because God is a generous God. In John 3.16 we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 8 we read, He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In Matthew 7, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God blesses us materially. He gives us all that we need. And spiritually, God gives to us abundantly. And when we're in a time of trial, James is saying, ask God for wisdom and God will give generously to us. Let's just have a look at that again, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If we ask God for wisdom, there's no platinum frequent flyers here, you know, uh, some people who get preferential treatment over others. If any of us ask God for wisdom, God's not going to find fault. He's going to respond to our asking and our faith and he is going to give us wisdom. And just remember this, that no matter how mature we might become in our walk, in our Christian life, that there are times when trials come upon us and they're so sudden and they might be so severe that they disorient us. And suddenly we think, you know, what is going on in my life? We think, what's this all about? And we think, how am I going to handle this? And, and we ask questions like, God, what are you doing? And, and so a, a, a trial can just, um, it doesn't matter how mature you are, it, it can just knock you. And, and, and suddenly you just find yourself in this situation where you're try, just trying to, to grapple with it and struggle with it. At those times, we need to ask God for his wisdom. We need to cry out to him. and We need to cry out, God, help me in this. Help me to see what you're doing. Help me to see how I can cope. Help me to see what decisions I need to make and help me to be strong. And if we ask like that, then God will help us. Verse 6 might seem a little bit harsh, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All God is saying there is simply this, we need to trust him because he is trustworthy. We shouldn't be double-minded. We shouldn't trust him, but then look elsewhere for answers. It's no good saying to God, oh God, help me, give me strength. And then we go to the alcohol covenant and we think, oh, let's have a few drinks because that's going to help me through. That's being double-minded. It's being unstable. Our trust needs to be in God. If we're having financial troubles, 
and we ask God for provision and to help us, God doesn't expect us then to go gambling to try and win money to solve our problems. That's unstable. It's double-minded. God just wants us to trust him wholly and solely. And remember this, we may not suddenly feel wise when we ask God, but God will guide our decision-making. And we'll just have a look at these uh, uh, three verses to close tonight. It's from verse 9 through to 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. James is just saying there that both the rich and the poor should be trusting in Jesus. The poor believer is spiritually exalted in Christ and they should rejoice in that. You see, the poor often are the ones who feel put down in life. They might be struggling more. They might even be oppressed. But what James is saying, when we receive Jesus Christ, we are exalted because suddenly we take on the righteousness of Jesus. We take on Jesus' identity and we are ushered ultimately into an eternal life to enjoy the glory and love and grace and beauty of God. So poor people can rejoice that in the gospel message they are lifted up. But then conversely, he's saying to the rich who might feel all puffed up in their own pride that they also need to be humbled because ultimately death will take them just as much as death will take a poor person. Everyone ultimately is going to die. The rich are going to fade away as well. And they might in life feel like life may be a little bit easier. Maybe, you know, other people praise them or look a bit better upon them. But ultimately death is going to bring them down. You see... Death is a levelling field for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Death's going to find us all. And in death, we all need Jesus. You know, recently um, we, we saw Prince Philip died. And, um, you know, if, if we think of Queen Elizabeth, I, I think she owns uh, something like six or seven residences that she can go to, like Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, um, Balmoral Castle, Sandringham Estate and there's two or three other places you can go to. And some of those places have over 1,000 rooms. They're enormous. So the Queen is very wealthy. But compare the Queen to, to a poor person who lives in a tiny apartment, maybe just with uh, one bedroom. When death comes, the Queen with all her wealth and all that she has, and this poor person with the little that they have, they are going to be on exactly the same 
level and they both equally need the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what James is saying here. When the ultimate trial comes, which is death, we all equally need Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people, doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor or anywhere in between, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the great news for us is that Jesus took upon himself the sins of all of us, the poor, the rich, the in-between. Jesus took it all upon himself. And the punishment that we all deserve, Jesus took that punishment upon himself. And in doing that, he turned away God's wrath from us. But we need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. We need to receive what Jesus has done for us, the free gift of eternal life, the gift, the wonderful gift of grace and love and mercy that Jesus died on our behalf. If you are going through trials, count it pure joy if the trials lead you to Jesus. Sometimes people need trials to lead them to the Lord. And if you are going through trials and it's keeping you in Jesus, then also count it pure joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we consider it joy in times of trial as we know you are bringing us to maturity and to be more like Jesus in character and strength. Grow us, Lord, so we are not up and down Christians, but strong, stable and caring towards others, even when we ourselves may be in the valley of shadow. Establish us in the knowledge that you generously give us wisdom when we ask, so we are able to see the larger picture of your perspective that you are doing good in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.